Shalom, I'm Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries, and it's great to be with you again today. With me is Bobby Walter, who leads the New York region of Chosen People Ministries. And by the way, that is a significant region, which makes Bobby a significant brother in the Lord, because in the greater New York area, we have at least 2 million Jewish people in the five boroughs of New York City, and throughout the New York area, another million Jewish people. And so really, the New York area rivals Tel Aviv and Jerusalem put together. And so this is a very significant area. And if if you get nothing else from today's program, where we're going to delve into Psalm 23 in a little bit more depth, you'll remember to pray, I hope, for the gospel going out to Jewish people throughout the greater New York area. And so, Bobby, shalom and welcome. Yes, shalom, Mitch, and welcome, everyone. You are listening to The Chosen People. And today, Mitch, we're actually going to continue our discussion on the Good Shepherd from Psalm 23, and specifically taking a look at how we can find comfort in the Good Shepherd. You know, sometimes it's difficult to see how blessed we are during times of, like, sorrow and suffering, but whenever we're in those sorts of circumstances and situations, when we're overwhelmed or dealing with the death of a loved one or sickness or, or illness or losing a job or whatever it is, there's a multitude of things that can go wrong in this life. But when we're in the midst of it, the scripture is just such a perfect place to turn. And when we do turn there, we find and we're reminded that through Jesus, no matter what's happening in our life, he is there for us and that there's always an opportunity for hope and blessings in the midst of the sorrow and the suffering. Absolutely, Bobby. And there was a lot to be afraid of uh, when you were a, a lonely shepherd in the desert. There were wild animals, there was harsh weather. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot to be concerned about. And of course, there was also a lot for David to be concerned about, because he probably wrote this when he was a little older and with Saul chasing him through the desert, through the caves. And if you've ever been to En Gedi, you know that it borders on a very desert-like area. Right. But then in those caves, you know, there's not only lots of places to hide, there's lots of places to get lost, you know. <laughs> but fear is something that all believers face. I think if we're honest with one another, we know that we get afraid. There's a lot of things about life, money, health, our overall situation in our country right now. There's a lot of reasons to be afraid, but I wanted to tell you a story, Bobby. Can I tell you a story okay. about fear? I'm listening. There was a really great man who was the president of Biola University. His name was Clyde Cook. And he had been a, a missionary in Hong Kong in the Philippines, and I actually had him for missions when I was at Talbot, which is the graduate school of Biola. Hmm. In the mid-1970s, Fighting was fierce in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And you might say, well, why would a missionary to the Jewish people pay special attention to Belfast? Because a Christian guy, actually sort of a new believer from an Irish background, was witnessing to one of his friends, and his friend said, I'll believe in Jesus when the Jews come preaching the gospel in Northern Ireland. And so, <laughs> and so he contacted our ministry, and we went off to Northern Ireland. And we all survived it. 
But I got to tell you, before we left, I was 23, 24 years old. I was a little nervous, mm-hmm. and everybody else was nervous. So I went into Dr. Cook's office, and he could, he could see that I was a, a bit afraid. People were getting blown up every day there. And when we did go over there, in the two weeks, we experienced direct contact, not that we got hurt, but we were right in the proximity of at least 10 or 11 bombs. But I want to tell you what Dr. Cook prayed. And it always reminds me of Psalm 23. Dr. Cook said, let's pray. And he grabbed my hand and he said, Lord, teach Mitch that safety is not the absence of danger, but the presence of the Lord. Hmm. And obviously, I've never forgotten that. And though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because we understand that wherever we go, he's with us. That's part of the great promise in the Great Commission. You can lose it because it's at the end of Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. And lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. So until the earth is no more and the kingdom of God is established on planet earth, Even through all the difficult times, until that day comes, and all the challenges we have in bringing the good news of Jesus the Messiah to both Jews and Gentiles, we know that someone even greater than Dr. Clyde Cook, as much as I loved him, is holding our hands, and he is all-powerful. And wherever we go, he goes, and as we do what we can to fulfill his will, he goes with us. Honestly, that's, that's a pretty powerful story, Mitch, and a wonderful reminder for us because it is true. No matter what we're going through, no matter where we are, whether it's on the front lines of a battle or entering into a war zone to specifically share the gospel, or even in, in our regular daily lives, the Lord is with us and he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he is that good shepherd. And when we keep reading the verse, David continues to build on the shepherd imagery and talks about these two specific tools that the shepherd would use in his ministry to the flock. So he says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So Mitch, when we look at the rod and the staff, you know, it's always important, I think, to look at the Hebrew. And the Hebrew for rod is shevet, which roughly translates to a stick just some kind of piece of wood about the size of a baseball bat, a small baseball bat. It's, uh, it was used by the shepherd uh, primarily for defense and for counting the sheep and keeping the sheep in line in a loving kind of way and in a protective kind of way. Well, spare the rod, spoil the child. I tell you, uh, I'm glad I didn't have a child like me. That's for sure. <laughs> um, and it's a symbol of the shepherd's strength and power and authority and any particularly hostile uh, situation. And we also understand there's uh, some discussion in the Gospel of Matthew even about the sheep being processed by passing under the rod, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And in David's time, the sheep passed under the rod, and that was really a way for the shepherd to keep track of the sheep. Right. And it was a way of counting them. So on the one hand, The rod was a means of defense and discipline, perhaps. But in another sense, it was the way that a shepherd showed his love or her love for sheep. When we come to staff, the Hebrew word is mishenet, 
And it refers to that shepherd staff. It kind of looks like a big question mark. You know, it stands high and it was really used almost as like a signpost for the sheep to know which way to go and which direction to go as they follow the shepherd. And while the rod conveys like a sense of authority and power and discipline and defense, the staff is kind of a bit softer. It speaks of patience and kindness. So the patience of the shepherd, the kindness of the shepherd, because as the shepherd was sort of managing his sheep, he would use the staff in in three specific ways. One was to draw the sheep together into like an intimate relationship with one another. So uh, really to kind of like build community among the sheep, between the sheep and the shepherd, but also among the sheep themselves. The staff was also used as a way to catch stray sheep. Uh, So that big question mark at the end, the crook part of the staff, would be used to, to catch a wayward sheep and then pull it back into the fold to keep it from wandering away. And then the third and final use of the staff would be more for like a gentle prodding. So it would be used to sort of nudge the sheep and guide them onto a new path or, or lead them safely through dangerous and, and difficult routes. So I think we could say with the rod and the staff, they are what the shepherd uses to keep the sheep in the fold and, and to constantly communicate that comforting presence that we read about in this psalm. We are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture, and he loves us. He knows our names. He counts us. He knows when we go missing, like in Matthew 18, 12. He knows where to find us, and we might not have him on our GPS, but he always has us on his heavenly GPS. And I love knowing that he counts every hair on my head, and he knows exactly where I am at all times. He loves me. He cares for me. And listener, he feels the same about you. Believe me, he knows you. He loves you. He cares about you. One of the greatest challenges the Jewish people have faced over the centuries is how to preserve our heritage while looking forward to the future. And that sums up the goal of Chosen People Ministries as well. We believe with all our hearts that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, that Jesus is the promised Messiah of Israel, and that the simple message of His death and resurrection has the power to transform the lives of Jewish people and Gentiles all over the world. And we'd love for you to partner with us. With your prayers and financial donations, we will keep proclaiming the gospel until we see him face to face. Learn more online at chosenpeople.com radio. Once again, that's chosenpeople.com radio. Or call 888-293-7482. We look forward to connecting with you soon. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. Now, Mitch, a few weeks ago during the 9-11 and the New Middle East Conference, we had the opportunity to hear from Dr. Jeff Burks. We sure did, Bobby. Jeff's one of my dear friends, a Messianic Jewish oral surgeon. Can you imagine that combination? Jeff worked for the medical examiner for 30-plus years, and uh, Jeff was tapped to actually identify the victims of the 9-11 tragedy by dental records. And that was so traumatizing for Jeff, but the Lord was able to get him through that valley of the shadow of death. And he prayed with a lot of people and extended God's grace in the midst of really great tragedy. So I think you're going to really love this testimony, friends. 
It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Charles Dickens could have been writing about 9-11. For 11 months, I led a team of hundreds of forensic dentists from across the U.S. and Canada to identify the thousands of victims of that horrible day. We witnessed the worst of human evil, the murder of innocents across all ages, gender, economic situation, and ethnic backgrounds. But at the same time, there was a spontaneous outpouring of the best of humanity. Dentists and hygienists sacrificially came to New York, grateful to be able to help. The tragedy brought together people I knew were bitter enemies the day before. One of the lessons I learned is that shared grief brings people together. In 30 years working at the medical examiner's office on homicides, airplane disasters, arsons, and other crimes, I saw the personification of evil many times over. The worst that one person could do to another. But seldom, if ever, I had seen good triumph over evil like I did after 9-11. The first Saturday after the attacks, I quickly assembled over 125 volunteers. At that time, there was little formal training available in forensic dentistry. It depended, for the most part, on just being interested in the field and getting a little exposure to forensics, experience that was not easy to come by. Here in New York on 9-11, we were fortunate to have about 40 experienced forensic dentists, but they would not be enough. Eventually, we would need near, nearly 450 or more dentists to help. Because the task was enormous, we expected upwards of 5,000 victims, victims whose remains would hardly be identifiable after the crushing force of 1.8 million tons of fallen steel and concrete. DNA was in its infancy and took many weeks to do, so forensic dentistry was the best hope of identifying victims. Unlike the rest of the body, teeth are nearly indestructible. So, in mass disasters, our job is to find whatever dental remains we can, even if it's just a single tooth or filling. Then we hope to match that to a person's dental records or x-rays taken in the past. Eventually, 22,000 fragments of remains would be found, and then we would have to match them to the thousands of dental records we had received from the families. It seemed almost impossible. So, at that first meeting of the New York forensic dentist, I explained how we would accomplish the task. I thought of the story of Queen Esther and Mordecai. Who knows if God placed you here for such a time as this, as Mordecai asked. I told the dentist sitting before me, all your years of interest in forensics and the experience you gained have brought you to this day. Do you see that it was for such a time as this? I knew that people familiar with scripture would understand, and I can't tell you what a comfort and encouragement that Bible story gave me personally. And so we began the task organizing shifts that worked 24-7, around the clock, seven days a week. In the beginning, when records first started coming in to the office, the police usually included a photo of that person, often smiling in a group family setting. Those pictures were very upsetting. And so I had them removed before handing the records off to our team especially for the sake of our younger, less experienced dentists. Then, almost immediately, calls and emails poured in from dentists across the country, as far away as New Zealand. 
offering any help they could give. This week, I reread those emails and was struck by how helpless people felt and how badly they wanted to do something to help. They knew the scope of the task in New York was huge, almost impossible, but they also knew that thousands of families were in agony, waiting to learn if their loved ones had lived or died. And if they had died, families would be desperate to receive their remains. So the dentists came from all over America. They got on the first planes out at a time when many of us were just afraid to fly. The former dean at USC drove here from Los Angeles. They slept in empty dorm rooms at NYU. They left their families, their dental practices behind, and they worked as one team without any thought of compensation. We checked and double-checked each other's work to be certain that we made no mistakes. That would only have added to the family's grief. I thank God that a dentist in St. Louis had for years been creating a computer program that would take dental records and match them with dental remains. He expected it would be useful in a case of an airline disaster, but he never expected to need it for a disaster of this magnitude. By the time we started to input data, we didn't know if the program would work. It had never been tested, and we worried that it would crash. But it didn't, and praise God, we did not misidentify a single victim. Whenever there was enough intact remains to identify the remains as a member of service, police, fire, or EMS, the remains were immediately taken to the Emmy's office in an ambulance or on a fire truck. At the office, a bell would ring, and everyone would stop whatever they were doing, go outside, and solemnly form two facing parallel lines to receive the remains of the member of service. Some saluted as two detectives accompanied the body into the office to be identified. I will never forget how sacred that scene felt as it was repeated over and over. The outpouring of support from the public was very touching. Each day, as exhausted firefighters, police, military, medical examiners, and construction workers left the World Trade Center site going up West Street to head home, they were met by New Yorkers holding up handmade signs that said, thank you, or our heroes. They were applauding and cheering and waving American flags and trying to get us to accept a bottle of water or a piece of fruit. At the Salvation Army food truck, there were hundreds of brown lunch bags decorated by school children from outside New York. The children drew pictures in crayon on the front and inside were snacks and a note that would say, I am proud of you or you are my hero. There were so many little gestures that proved the goodness of the American people. Finally, I'd like to share another good that came out of 9-11. I and many others felt fear and abhorrence towards not only the terrorists, but also people who shared their culture and religion. In New York and New Jersey, we heard of reports of close-knit Muslim communities living just outside the city who celebrated when they heard that the Twin Towers had fallen. As a Christian, how should I regard them? As enemies in our midst? Or as people God has brought to our shores to hear the good news? My wife was blessed to serve with one of the small groups of volunteers who are seizing the opportunity to spread the love of Jesus following 9-11. 
neighborhood churches began opening their doors to invite Arab-speaking ladies from the neighborhood to come in and learn English. Teachers and students started forming genuine friendships, and students learned how to navigate life in a strange land. Love replaced fear. And these small ministries continue to this day. My faith could have been shattered by 9-11, but instead it was strengthened by all the good I saw. I felt God's hand and protection in the aftermath of that day, leading me and many others to serve with effectiveness and gratitude as we watched the slow and steady triumph of God over evil. But let us never forget, I will never forget. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. You know, Mitch, it's good to hear stories from people like Dr. Burks who, you know, despite going through what really felt like the valley of the shadow of death on so many levels for him, he still sensed that the Lord was going to bless him and bring him through to the other side. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Bobby, in our October newsletter, there's a story of a dear friend of mine, Ellis Goldstein, how the Lord walked with him through pain and tragedy, and yet Ellis kept his head high and was able to experience God's comfort and also to extend that comfort to others uh, throughout his ministry. And so when I think of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I really do think of Ellis. And you can go to the Chosen People website at chosenpeople.com forward slash radio and take a look at some of the wonderful material we have there, including Ellis's testimony. And now we're going to ask Bobby to do something that I think is really uh, wonderful and precious and important. Uh, just reading the scripture. And why don't we close, Bobby, by reading the psalm. Would you do that for us? I'd be honored to. Just remember, folks, next week we'll continue in Psalm 23, and we'll be looking particularly at verse 5. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you, Bobby. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. If you'd like to hear this message again, or if you'd like to share it with a friend, you can do that online when you visit chosenpeople.com slash radio. And if there's someone in your life who needs to know about our Good Shepherd, please feel free to get in touch with us. We have a variety of resources available, and we'd love to assist you in sharing the gospel. We'd also like to send you a free gift just for listening and saying hello. So connect with us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. You can also ask for the book when you call us. The number to dial is 888-293-7482. That's 888-293-7482. Or you can write to us. Our address is Chosen People Ministries, 241 East 51st Street in New York, New York, 10022. We look forward to hearing from you. 
And right now, let's close with the ironic benediction from Misha Getz and Mitch Glazer. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Peace.